Hey, this is Dave Pryor. You're about to listen to my interview with Matt Craig, who's a principal consultant leading Agile. In the interview, we compare the way biological systems function to how businesses function and how a lot of what we see happen within organizations, especially when it comes to the response to change, happens at an unconscious level, which in some ways is very similar to how biology responds to change. Obviously, Matt's got a background in some of this stuff. He's a brilliant guy, and this podcast definitely went really deep. I hope you'll enjoy it. If you'd like to reach out to Matt afterwards in order to follow up with questions, uh, you'll find his contact information in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And now onto the podcast. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Matt Craig is here. Matt, thanks for taking time out of your day. Thanks very much, Dave. I'm and, looking forward to our discussion. And your turkey preparations, it's almost Thanksgiving when we're recording this. Um, if you can't tell by Matt's accent, he lives in Pittsburgh. Um, but That's I, right. I, I, <laughs> been working on my Pittsburgh accent for 20 years now. I, I, just, I haven't cracked it yet. <laughs> so where are you originally from? I'm originally from Adelaide, Australia, uh, so that's where I grew up, but I, I did move here uh, to Pittsburgh basically 20 years ago, so it's been a while. Uh, it's been it's been a, a great time that I've had here, and it's been so much fun meeting people from from all over the place, um, actually particularly in New York, Dave, where you are. I've, I've met ah, some cool. friends in New York. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And so could you explain to the folks that are listening what your background is? Because it's a little bit... It includes some of the normal stuff from the people I talk to leading Agile, but there's other stuff in there as well that I think is really interesting. Yes, I definitely have a bit of a patchwork quilt of a background. So I know one of the things we're hoping to talk about today are some analogies to biological systems. And the reason I tend to like using those analogies is I did spend a bit of time in my youth studying medicine. Um, uh, in Australia, you graduate from high school, you go straight into that kind of thing. So straight into medicine. Uh, I did that for a number of years, but then decided I wanted to start a business. Uh, so I actually did. I started a business doing multimedia development back in the 90s, did that for a number of years, and then decided I'd like to travel. Uh, so I folded up my business with my partners and, and headed to the States for uh, and doing a number of things. I, I've, I've had an evolutionary progress through learning that what I love doing is helping organizations improve what they do and the value they deliver. And the ways that I've approached that in the past have been through techniques such as classic project management, uh, through things such as service management, um, spent a lot of time around organizational capability improvement and looking at characteristics of organizational maturity, looking at how we can influence it, looking at things like um, techniques to to be, be a better leader, to communicate better, um, you know, other things such as influencing the nature of end-to-end -end services within organizations and how those create value for customers. Um, products, of course, so product management. Um, and then, of course, not surprisingly, a lot of work in Agile, but particularly how Agile can be used as an adaptive system for organizational improvement itself. Most of my Agile experience has been uh, using it that way as opposed to trying to influence things like software development. Okay. Thank you. All right. So now I want to see if everybody can can hold on and follow the thread because this this took me like a couple seconds to catch on to the first time we talked about it. So um, we often talk at Leading Agile about how the systems in which people are trying to implement some sort of agile practices are not structured in a way to enable them. And a big part of 
our approach is organizational change and things like that. And when you, when we were talking about it before the interview, um, the way that you explained it as sort of a biological system, I thought was really, really interesting. And just, I'd never heard anything like that before. So could you kind of give the high level and then we can start to dig down into some different aspects of it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd be happy to, Dave. And I, I do find it a fascinating topic to compare the way that biological systems function. I'll just use us and the human body as, as sort of the working analogy and comparing that to how businesses or, uh, function, how, how they operate. And so at a very high level, if you think about it, we as people, um, we, we, we work, we operate, we live, we breathe, we, you know, we digest, we do all these things. And so we, you know, we're alive, right? We're working and we're, we're meeting some kind of purpose, our own personal sense of purpose in the world. And so you could sort of think of that as, as a business, a business operates and lives and breathes and, and has people in it doing all the things that they're doing, delivering some kind of value, meeting its purpose in the marketplace, right? So you, if you'll sort of take those two sides of the, of the analogy, one of the things I find really interesting to think about is that, um, biological systems, so people, much of what we do, much of how we function and operate is beneath the level of conscious thought. That's one way to think about it. So there's a lot of autonomous function within ourselves. You know, you don't think about digestion. You don't think about blood flow. You don't think about breathing. You don't think about all these things. And in fact, those are also things that you don't need to spend time designing and investing in. Now, certainly you can spend time doing things like becoming fitter, right? So you can pay attention to your fitness. You can pay attention to your diet. You can do things like that. And so my analogy for that is organizations can pay attention to characteristics of how they function. And they can specifically say, well, we'd like to be better at internal communications, for instance, or we'd like to be better at understanding our customer, or we'd like to be better at end-to-end -end product development and delivery, et cetera, et cetera. But what I think is really interesting is that to, to continue with the analogy, it's really, really, really difficult to pay enough attention to all of those moving parts, to all the underlying substances. All of them at once. Yeah, you really just can't do it. So one of the things I really like about the Leading Agile approach is the recognition that it's all a system, right? And it's systems within systems and that you're likely only going to be able to influence a piece of the system at a time. And one of the things that's worth paying attention to are at least what I like to call enabling capabilities, enabling characteristics of the overall business ecosystem, the overall enterprise and saying, hmm, are those good and healthy? Like as an example, you can, you can call things out such as enterprise architecture, the ability to articulate and thereby influence those major functional characteristics of a business and say, oh, well, we've, we've sort of drawn a map of how our business functions. And based on our mapping, we've done some analysis of which elements of that are a bit weaker than, than they should be. And we can therefore invest our attention there and improve those weaknesses in a way that's going to create leveraged value for the rest of the system that's built upon that, that kind of depends on those underlying capabilities, if you will. So what would a parallel be to like the, the human body? I mean, is that like well, I have to work on my core or? Yeah, like work on your core or even just, again, think of it like if you're working on fitness, like what's the, the, the physiological um, effects of becoming fitter or at least cardiovascular fitness, if you will. Like if you go yeah. running or bike riding or, or similar every day, that changes a few things, right? It may change your VO2 max capacity. So your ability to, to inhale and exhale and transfer oxygen uh, into your system. It will also modify your ability. You know, you'll probably increase your red blood cell count. 
um, so that you're able to actually transport oxygen to your cells more. So you're, you're providing more available energy to your body to use when it's needed. Um, you're improving your uh, your aerobic capacity, so you don't need to convert into an anaerobic metabolism, which is a short-term thing. You know, like if you sprint, that 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 only lasts for so long. So the ability to create sort of sustained energy output is something that a fitter person can do. You know, fit people can run marathons in yeah. you know, sub three hours. Unfit people can't run them at all. So in the same way for a business, a business that sort of becomes fitter, you know, its ability, if you will, again, like if you think of oxygen as the ability to transfer energy, the ability for a business to convert its expenditure, its money into outcomes that matter is an analogy for fitness, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so I want to, I had this sort of light bulb go off when you were talking about it. So since the pandemic started and all the gyms in New York closed up and running, mm-hmm. and I run like three times a week, like five or six miles every time I go out. And I was talking to my mom. She's like, man, you must have lost so much weight. I'm like, I haven't lost any weight at all. And when I'm running, um, especially when it was hotter, like my heart rate's so high mm-hmm. that I'm always in like that peak or, or something. And now I've got it down to cardio, but I never am in fat burning. And um, I'm just, uh, to me, it seems like a parallel to velocity. Like I can go running every single day, but if I'm not running the right way, if my goal is to lose weight, that's not going to happen. Indeed, indeed. Actually, so there's a whole bunch of interesting things we can talk about there. So for instance, one of the things that might be happening is you may stay the same weight, but your composition may be changing, right? You may actually have more muscle mass. Uh, yeah, that, that has changed right. my, my cardio, like my breathing, my blood rate, everything, all that's better. But Yeah, and, and so that to me, again, to, I'll, I'll just keep drawing these parallels because yeah. it's fun to do, is if you said my, my one measure of success is weight, and it's not changing, you may be disappointed. But conversely, if you said, well, hang on a second, is that the right measure as opposed to say lean body mass or uh, again, something else like VO2 max that I mentioned or resting heart rate, you may find that some of those measures are changing in a positive way. And so again, the analogy for organizational fitness and performance is how do you define what the right measures are to understand whether you're getting fitter and healthier to, to meet the needs of the market and your customers, those kinds of things. So that alone is an interesting topic. So I want to I want to ask you I've asked a couple other people this question and I'm really curious to what your response to this is going to be. Do you think that for an organization going through transformation, I mean I, I think we both agree that just simply looking at something like velocity is not enough, but do we need like a data scientist to be sitting in there like creating some kind of Apple Watch for people's in companies in transformation to see all these different factors and figure out what story they're telling? Yeah, I mean, overall, yes. My short answer is yes. I think something like that would be really helpful. Uh, I think one of the things uh, to to go back to 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 use some some other. So we'll just keep drawing on this metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Question, right? Is over time we've learned a lot about how we work from a biological perspective. If you looked at what medicine looked like two hundred years ago compared to what it looks like today, we're not reaching people anymore. Right. We're not leeching. Exactly. That's a great analogy, right? We're not leeching people anymore. We, we used to believe that leeches would draw bad things out of the system. It's not true. I mean, yes, they take blood out of the system, and, and but basically leeching is not, was not good practice, but it was the belief of the day. Yeah. So to think, to carry that forward and say, what are our current beliefs of the day and how do we anchor those beliefs in increasing knowledge of what truly drives organizational performance and including all of the uh, the assets and, and, and attributes of the system, the people attributes, the process attributes, the, the knowledge attributes, the, 
the goal setting, the, the the feedback loops, like in terms of getting feedback from customers. I mean, you know, look these days at say big data systems that are actively mining social media to hear about customer sentiment and respond to it immediately because you've built um, a, a natural language processing engine that that that's smart enough to be able to know that if certain things are said in a certain way, the product team should probably hear about it immediately and respond quickly. Like those kinds of things, you know, that better understanding of insight into the structure and nature of the system and the ability to create feedback loops to sense and respond faster. Um, and, and again, just to keep going, so, so the, 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 the body analogy, when, when you're running at a cellular level, your cells notify their surrounding environment that they're short on oxygen. And that stimulus, that local cellular level stimulus, changes the, the structure of your blood vessels in that, in, area, in that area to open up the blood flow to okay. release more oxygen, right? So do we, you know, what's the equivalent in a business? How does a business know, hey, product group X is starved for, you know, of some performance characteristic? It needs yeah. help. Right, it needs more funding. It needs more people. It needs more something. You know, maybe it needs more customer feedback. Whatever that is, but that sense and response, those feedback loops. I think there's a, a a significant opportunity to create those more. But then again, they all come with a cost. You yeah. Know, much of much of our feedback loops today are slow, cumbersome, expensive. You know, involve a lot of people trying to figure things out manually. Um, so yeah, there's definitely opportunities there for that leveraging of data, leveraging of analytics uh, and so on to be better. But but conversely, there's a counterpoint to that, which is if you've modeled the system wrong, like to use the leeches again, right? Yeah. If your beliefs about how the system operates are incorrect, uh, then you may be leeching when you shouldn't be. <laughs> so... So what is so to to kind of build on it or come up with another ridiculous example? Mm -hmm. Back in the day, doctors used to prescribe cigarettes as a way of relaxing, mm -hmm. um, including to pregnant women. Mm -hmm. So what is something that you've seen in organizational change that is the equivalent of that? That you're like, oh my god, I can't believe people used to say that. <laughs> there's one. There's one um, situation that jumps to mind, which was kind of interesting. It's a little bit more about a, a misfit of communication, but. Yeah, so the, to the point about cigarettes, like I, I can't, I must admit, I don't recall all of the physiological changes that cigarettes create, but they certainly do create physiological changes. And I think one of them is a sense of relaxation, right? So on the surface, hey, that's a good idea. Let's relax the mums by giving them a cigarette because it'll help them relax. Okay, yeah. so that's true. However, what's also true is you're introducing all these toxins into the system. Depriving um, them of oxygen. Yeah, it's, it, and it's terrible for a developing fetus. Like there's a lot of terrible things, but we didn't know all that stuff back then. Right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, within, within and, and I guess that's why I'm a big believer in trying to understand the system, trying to understand the organization. And as I said, things like... Um, a people, uh, here's the other thing I think. All of us have the ability to pay attention to certain things. Right. And there's no one who can see and pay attention to everything. Uh, like, again, in medicine, you don't, you don't go to one doctor for everything that might ail you. You go to right. The, the right doctor for the right, for the right system, for the right pathology, for what's actually going on. So I think that's one of the challenges around improving organizational performance. You may have someone who's excellent at improving the human part of the system, right? Organizational design and um, engaging and motivating and developing people. And that may be perfect 
for the right situation where that's the necessary, that's the best approach, that's the biggest value yeah. you can make. Conversely, what you might really need is, say, perhaps end-to-end process analysis and refinement, or maybe you need measurement uh, improvement or, you know, whatever it is. And so that prescription of what's the right thing um, is predicated on a, an assumption of what's going wrong. Uh, and if you get the assumption wrong, yeah, maybe, maybe you'll provide some benefit, but to, to the cigarette smoking analogy, you may actually be creating badness in the system and you may not know it. Yeah, which you're, I guess you're only going to get with more metrics. I mean, it, to me, it's, it's almost like the thing where um, everybody needs to be co-located, everybody should be spread out. We need open mm-hmm. workspaces, we need private workspaces, like that debate going back and forth. And maybe there's not a universal truth for those answers. Like some people are going to have, some organizations will have different needs and cultures than others that evolve. Yeah. I mean, that alone, like that, the, 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 what's the right, you know, what's the perfect organizational environment to, to work within? It's like, well, you can't answer that. I mean, there is no one thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, co-location is, is excellent for uh, allowing, what do we call that kind of serendipitous, connections and, and ah we both had to learn this word for the pmi exam um oxy oxa something I oh don't know. gosh we I both know. fail take our yeah. pmps away fail yeah it's been it's been too long, <laughs> it's been too long. <laughs> um but yeah but yeah so so there are those characteristics but then there's you know obviously your space to work quietly you know the introvert extrovert kind of thing all of that so and you've and, and the fact we have to recognize we want multidisciplinary teams with a mixture of backgrounds and all the rest of it because of the value that comes from those different perspectives that's all good but there's no perfect system that helps to coordinate all of that all the time uh, so you've got to keep balancing it you've got to keep providing opportunities for people to engage in different ways uh, to, to maximize the contribution of the team while accounting for the needs of the individuals. Uh, to, To me, that's a fascinating aspect of organizational management is the need to balance. There's so many, there's so many balance points, uh, in the system. Okay. So I want to, I want to kind of lean on the, um, the feedback loop thing, but can you explain the enzyme part of this conversation? Yeah, sure, sure. So that came out. I'll, I'll give a bit of a back a backstop to that, and then talk about it. But um, it, it came up. We, we were, I was having a discussion with Dennis Stevens a, a little while ago about our model for engaging with the organization, particularly engaging with leaders using the PISTA model. I know you've talked about that in the past, but that yeah. ability for us to prepare to engage, right? And, and part of that preparation is sort of to, to understand the environment we're, we're, we're going into, the, the characteristics of that environment and sort of take on the shape of that environment so that we can more effectively communicate and engage from the context of the client as opposed to from our own point of view only. And a lot of communication tends to be, I want to tell you what I want to tell you. I'm not as worried about your ability to understand it, right? So that's kind of what you call kind of basic or immature conversation. Okay. So the, en- the enzyme analogy was that when you look at many things that occur, especially in biological systems, the, the, um, the, the function, the way we operate is facilitated hugely by enzymes. And, and, and the analogy here that I like to use for, for organizational work is you, would, you maybe want something to happen. Uh, let's say 
you would like, um, let's use Agile, we'll anchor this on Agile, right? You'd like your organization to be Agile, you'd like people to be value-centric, you would like teams to self-organize, you would like them to have good technical craft so that they can develop and deliver uh, high-value software or, or other outputs. So you want all of that stuff to happen. But how do you make it happen? How do you facilitate the uh, the, the transformation from the current state of that stuff isn't happening into the future state of that stuff is happening. The challenge you have with that is there are many impediments in, in any organization to overcoming the natural state of things, the natural behaviors, the natural or the existing um, belief systems and knowledge and skills and all these other things. So I, I use this, I'll admit this is a bit of a roundabout way of getting to it, but the enzyme helps to, to rapidly um, catalyze that reaction, the reaction from current state to future state. However, the, the way that enzymes do this in natural systems is that they are perfectly made and built, right? They're, they're based on a, on a blueprint in DNA where that enzyme is um, pristinely and precisely structured to, to connect two things. Well, many enzymes, right? Some of them break things, but some of them connect things together. And so I was using this analogy of like the connection between the current state, whatever the shape of the current state is, whatever the shape of the, let's say the understanding of the leadership team is, right. or the preferences of the leadership team or the, uh, you know, the perspectives, all those things, like what is the shape of that? And how do you create a sort of an enzymatic analogy where you can meet that shape, meet the shape of the client, and then also tailor the shape of the solution of the transformation so that together the enzyme, like our transformation approach, if you will, plus the, the needs of the transformation, kind of the, the, the two journey, if you will, and yeah. the connection with the current state. Like if, if all those are perfectly meshed, if there's a really good meeting there and there's no disconnect, there's no sort of um, sharp points that are going to push it away, then you were going to vastly facilitate the ability to, to deliver that transformation. And that typically doesn't happen because there are these lumpy, bumpy points, right? Someone thinks something differently or you've got a, uh, you've got a, um, maybe a, uh, what would you call it? A disgruntled leader who has an alternate agenda that you don't see and sure. the shape of what you're trying to offer doesn't fit what they believe is right. I mean, there's so many different you're, ways. You're talking about trying to like change the DNA of the company, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. So that's a piece of it in the sense that you, you do uh, want to, in, in essence, change the DNA of the company so that the, the future operations are sustainably always better because you've yeah. reshaped the underpinning um, architecture and blueprint of how the organization runs and is built, how it continues to operate, how it pulls in new people, uh, you know, the, the, the messages that it shares. It's, you know, even to those points of culture, you know, shared understanding, shared characteristics of how we operate, how we communicate and things like that. It's, it's interesting to think about, I mean, I don't pretend in any way to be knowledgeable about the cures for the pandemic, but my understanding is that two of the vaccines provide you with antibodies mm-hmm. and the other one is supposed to change the actual structure of, of the, of some aspect of the DNA. And I mean, it's, I'm thinking about transformation. It's almost like you can get the behavior to change, but until you change the thing that sparks the behavior right, and, and change it permanently, um, it's always going to find a way to snap back. Yeah, I th- absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons that there are a lot of adherence to the principle of culture change, because to me, and I think, I think there are some different, there are some different interpretations of what do we mean by culture change? I, I believe that the, the version of culture change that talks about 
hey, just change the language that you're using, for instance. Just change maybe your communications and yeah. that, that, that alone will change the culture. To me, that is a very superficial version of what anyone would mean by culture. Well, and easily misappropriated. I mean, I Absolutely. can use nonviolent communication and use it to be totally sarcastic because yep. I'm from Philly. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but there are other characteristics that you could mean by culture change that really would, in essence, uh, rewire the DNA of the organization. Um, so, for instance, things like what do we mean to be value-centric? How does that play out? Do we truly reward people who are challenging the system to deliver more value, whether that's at the leadership level or at the practitioner level or anything like that. And if we do, and if we continue to reinforce and reward that type of behavior, yeah. in the end, that's going to rewire the thinking of the organization towards being actually more value-centric. And by doing so, that will also um, create a seeking of d different practices to continue embedding that philosophy of value uh, focus. Right. So to me, that's a different type of, if you will, culture change that may yeah. be moving more towards changing the system as such. So and I think that's also perhaps another thing that's a bit difficult to really, you know, could you truly tease apart the, 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 um, the line of demarcation between what is culture and what is the system of the organization? Um, you know, one of the things I've said is culture is part of the system of the organization. So I really agree with our approach, which is, Look at the system and change the system. Culture is part of the system. Practices are part of the system. People, are, people per se, are part of the system. And a lot of people view them as separate. You right. change, you change cult. A lot of people, the the culture first people. If you if you don't change the culture, nothing's going to happen. But if you change the culture and don't change the surrounding architecture and structure of everything around them, it's not going to get any better. Indeed. And just to anchor on that point too, Dave. Um, back to what I was saying before about this sort of autonomous function, and there's just a lot that happens without thought in, in our bodies. In the same way, a lot happens in organizations without um, active conscious influence. And I think that's one of the reasons a lot of transformations tend to fail is that while you're paying conscious attention to something, it does change. But it's a temporary change because you haven't modified those underlying autonomous systems within the organization. You haven't changed the structure. You haven't changed the practices. You haven't changed a lot of underpinning things. And so you can't sustain that sort of overt conscious change that you've tried, that you tried to do with a transformation. Can you give an example of that? What I've seen in, in some places is the language of we'd like to create more valuable results, as an example. Um, and yet the ways, for instance, that say a project or an initiative or, or some other, you know, even agile team is funded does not bring with it a good definition of what do we mean by value? It's just, you, you've kept it at that label of we're, we're value seeking and that's all there is. Um, rather than say unpacking and embedding a clear understanding of what do we mean by value? Um, one of the ways I know one organization that overcame that Intel, a number of years ago, realized this was a challenge for their internal IT function. You know, Intel obviously is very known for their um, development of, of microprocessors and chips. And so they're, they're really recognized for excellence in engineering and design of, right. of the hardware. Their internal IT operations that supported the whole enterprise were struggling, as many do. And one of the things they did is they... Uh, spent quite a bit of time doing kind of human factors analysis and, and other ways of sort of digging into what's really uh, driving value for our business. 
and they uh, they ended up building a view that said, we have defined 18 things they called value dials. And those value dials were very specific articulations of what does it mean when we say this is going to increase value. Things like, for instance, reducing days of inventory was one of them. There were some also, there were some ones that related more to employee kind of engagement and productivity. I can't remember the specifics, but it was one of the things they did was to sort of create that and use that as their framing system for any proposal of, of work to be done, right? It's like, well, what, which value dial is that going to influence and how much is it going to influence? Sure. It'll help us prioritize. So to me, that's an example of changing the underlying system in a way that did stick, uh, okay. versus many others who are going to say, we're going to be value centric, but we're not going to invest the, 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 um, the energy and the attention towards clarifying what do we mean by that. So teams believe they're working towards value, but all of them are kind of looking at each other saying, I think you know what it means. So I'm going to pretend I know what it means. I don't want to say, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, I don't want to admit, I don't want to admit the emperor has no clothes here in the sense that we all believe we're trying to be value seeking, but without clarity on how would we measure whether that's been achieved or not, we're all just agreeing to, to that that's a good thing to do as opposed right. to actually being specific. Yeah. And they took the time to figure out what that meant for them, which is, yeah. I mean, one of the things I see happen in Agile, I mean, Spotify is a great example. They came up with a model that worked really well for them. And then half the planet tries to do the same thing and they're not Spotify. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're all going to wear somebody else's shoes. I mean, right. they need to figure out their own version of it, but that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the good thing is though, I think uh, that so many organizations do have basic characteristics, right? Um, and again, to keep, on the biology analogy, like yeah. we all basically digest food the same way. We all breathe the same way. We move blood around our systems the same way, uh, et cetera. You know, we all have similar kinds of immune systems. Uh, we have similar, you know, neurology and so on and so on. I mean, we all have a, we have our unique differences, right. but what makes us similar is vastly more than what makes us different. And I, okay. I take comfort in that in, in terms of looking at organizational performance in, and believing that, you can come up with a basic model of an organization. One of the things that comes to mind when I say that is, you know, if you think of doctor's offices and you think of those posters on the wall, it's like, here's the musculoskeletal system, here's the cardiovascular system, here's the nervous system. Yeah. You have all these sort of views. We all have one of those. Yeah, and, and we all have those systems, right? So organizations have a people system. They have a a goal, a goal setting and achieving system. They have a financial system. They have a process system, et cetera, right? Right. And that being the case, we can then say, all right, great. We can do, I was talking about um, this with someone else the other day. One of the things you learn um, in, in medical training is how do you first engage with a patient coming in the door? And one okay. of the first things you do is you take a history and you do something that's called a review of systems. And the review, so the patient comes in with a presenting problem, whatever that is, you're going to ask them about it. So you're going to dig into the details of like, hey, you know, when did this start happening and what are its characteristics? And, you know, help me understand the nature of the problem. And obviously the analog there is with, a, with an organization seeking to transform, same principle, help me understand the nature of the problem. Give me the, specific, the specifics, you know, what, what evidence do you have of this problem? What, 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 is, what are you feeling about it? Those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's the first piece, you know, taking the history. But the other thing you do is you'll do a review of systems. And typically the doctor will go through kind of a checklist in their head and they'll ask questions to say, well, let's check on whether this might be related to, um, to neurology 
or it might be related to cardiovascular or it might be related to digestive or it might be related to um, you know, musculoskeletal, et cetera. You'll, you'll go through a list of potential systems that might be involved in whatever this problem is. And I think that's a good way to approach organizational transformation. Let's see, you know, hey, might this, you know, what are the, what are the connections to your process system? What are the connections to your people system? What are the connections yeah. to your goal setting and achieving system? And it might be the answers to those are, the goal setting and achievement system, what are you talking about, right? Um, or and, and that might reveal that that part of the organizational system is pretty undefined and pretty weak. And therefore, it's like, hmm, that might be a place to go and pay attention to and, and improve. So I'm, I'm just, I started thinking about the show House. <laughs> like, like every organization needs House to come in and just like be the bastard on the porch shaking that cane. Change this, change that, you know, try, give them this thing. But I mean, that's a lot of what's happening is we're experimenting to try to find what's going to be the thing that unlocks the most change, right? Right, right, indeed. Uh, and But here's the challenge. If those experiments are being run, like think of it this way. Um, I think there's an, it's an old, older school, uh, an older term, but the hedge doctor, right? Someone who really hasn't had a lot of training, doesn't really know those systems, then they're going to be guessing at what might be wrong or they're poking and prodding. Or, you know, maybe there's someone who yeah. really, maybe for instance, maybe uh, just to, 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 to sort of use the analogy, you go and see an orthopedic surgeon for something that is an endocrine issue and, and they don't tell you, you should go and see an endocrinologist. Like, right. I think what I need to do is give you a knee replacement, right? Because that's all they know. Yeah. You know? Now that's unfair. They, they, they shouldn't and they probably wouldn't, but a bad one might, right? So the same thing with, with organizational improvement is if you don't engage people who can see the whole system, they're likely to give you answers that connect to their local understanding of, of the pieces of the system. So you're going to end up with that local optimization, which is possibly and, and likely detrimental to the whole thing. So See, that's also worth keeping in mind, I think. Do, what what just happened in my head as you were talking through that was the profession of coaching or being an you know, organizational change coach or an agile coach mm -hmm. just exploded into sort of GPs, like general practitioners, but people that specialize in certain things. Like you talked about the knee replacement. If that's what I do, Every problem I see is focused through, I see it through that lens. So the new replacement is always going to be the answer. And I'm right. looking for the <laughs> symptoms that show me that that's, you know, the answer that I have to get to. Right. But we might need coaches that special, the, the same way now we have coaches that specialize in like C-level and team level. Mm -hmm. We might need them for very specific issues and an organization might have multiple kinds of coaches. Yeah, and and you know maybe some maybe sometimes the knee replacement is actually a part of the solution. So fine, you know it's yeah. good. It's not a bad thing, right? The whole do no harm. Uh, but conversely, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that ability and and again, even just at a kind of high level, you know, the forest for the trees, if you will. Yeah, doing that kind of high level review of systems type of assessment to see what else might be going on here, especially if we're engaging. I think with with bigger clients that have you know more more likely multi-systemic issues yeah and being able to work on all right we're not going to try and fix everything at once we're not going to try and boil the ocean but what we are going to do is to provide a fairly objective appraisal of multiple characteristics of how your your organization operates and a clear path forward that shows how we're accounting for how all these things interrelate
and operate. Okay. So that we can say, hey, yes, there's a lot of things we can do to help you create a more adaptive, agile organization and create business outcomes sooner and better and faster. But we're going to do that because we're influencing the right parts of your organization. And as I said, I think that's one of the things I really like about the leading agile approach is it does explicitly provide as a principle that we are systems focused. You know, yeah. that we want to account for the system. So I, you brought up social media earlier, and mm -hmm. I just finished this big book on data surveillance and things like that. And I mean, I'm kind of like my head's in that space right now. And I'm thinking about how the more we learn about human behavior, the more we can make adjustments to the things we interact with to drive change. And that that becomes not just guesswork, but at some point it will become science. And I can say, if I want this person to do X, these are the things I have to do to get them to change, to cause that change to rise within them. Um, I'm wondering if, if, if that could, I'm just going to say this all out and then you can shoot it down if you want to. Okay. If we can get that level of science with behavior in an organization at some point down the road, we could basically kind of figure out what has to change by looking at all this stuff together. But at some point, it's going to be an algorithm figuring it out. And that's making me wonder if we're kind of in the dark ages of organizational change. Right? Like we're basically applying leeches because yeah. it's the most science yeah. we have. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think that's a good analogy. Like when I've, when I've kind of done these mental experiments about the, the structure and functioning of a, of a biological system compared to most or any organization, like we just significantly are behind in terms of. <laughs> you don't know anything. Yeah, really. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think, I think we are, I think we believe we know a lot. Uh, like I love that. I can't remember who said that the head of the patent office a hundred years ago. It's like, well, we've, we've figured everything out. There aren't going to be any more patents rolling in. Right. Because <laughs> we know everything. <laughs> yep, we're done. Well, that's that a pretty dopey statement. So, yes, I think that's, I mean, that alone, I think, is something worth keeping in mind for all of us to just recognize that we don't know everything and yeah. to be very humble about it and say, we want to continue to learn. I know Mike Kottmeyer likes to talk about the growth mindset, and I think that's a fantastic way to think about things. Like, we are going, and again, back to the the principles of, of Hippocrates and, and to do no harm. Like, let's, number one, do our utmost to avoid damaging the system. And that's a recognition that we'll probably never know everything there is to know, but that uh, our, our intent is to seek to provide benefit and seek to provide goodness, but also at the same time to actively make sure that what we're doing isn't inadvertently causing harm in some way. Yeah. So there's that piece, I think, that, that and that's pretty important. Um, the other is the, uh, there, there was something else I want to share with you, which, which ties in with this, which is this. Uh, kind of a topic of cultivation, if you will, that okay. look, look at, say, for instance, some uh, domestic apples. If you look at an apple, I don't know how much an apple weighs. Let's, let's guess maybe a little less than a pound, right? Okay. Something like that for, for a nice sized apple. Um, and, you know, they're tasty and sweet and they're good. But if you look at the wild type of apples, uh, I actually did this a few years ago. I did a, 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 um, a volunteer thing and we were going picking we were picking apples out in the in public spaces to to use them for charity and we were picking crab apples which are kind of more wild, you know and and domestic apples there were you know regular apple trees out there so we we're picking both kinds they wanted both kinds and it was fascinating to me while, while i was doing this because the crab apples are tiny yeah and bitter yeah uh, and and it takes a decent amount of effort to pick them 
whereas picking um, domestic apples, they, they pull off a bit easier and they're just, you know, you can, for one grab, you're getting a substantial amount of apple. But they've so been Monsanto to be that way. Yeah. And, and so the, um, the analogy I made, I actually recorded a really brief video on this topic um, that related to capability improvement was this, this um, analogy of cultivating improvement over time. Because if you look like we, humans did not DNA engineer apples uh, directly, but we did through selection over, over hundreds or thousands of years, whatever it took. Like we have created the modern apple tree, which gives us, you know, sweet, you know, eat good fruit because of that process of cultivation. So I kind of think that as well around cultivating organizational capabilities of it's an investment over time to keep tuning the system, to keep creating more valuable outputs that itself will reinforce the nature of that system to keep doing that, right? It, it, it just doesn't happen at one, all at once. Wow. So that's awesome. I, it, I started thinking about bananas because <laughs> that's a totally different problem. We have to right. engineer a solution to the viruses that keep spreading and we're always running away from the extinction of bananas and there's only one banana. Right, right. So that's that's a good way. I, someone else challenged me with the banana problem as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I'm glad you had prep for it because that was exactly where my brain went. Was yeah, no, it's it's funny. So this this brings to mind that that saying I think of um, uh, what is it? Something like models can be useful, but all models are wrong if you yeah. will, right? So that the modeling of like using an analogy for cultivation and apples as, can as, always as, be manipulated when we're as, as sort of a, an analogy for organization, which is like, yeah, you can get it wrong. And, and like the banana problem of like, yeah, we have, we have so selected bananas that now there's like no DNA diversity and they're therefore susceptible to it. I mean, back to the enzymes and the specificity, right? Yeah. Is now we've also selected for organisms that can attack them. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or with the apples, I mean, you can, we can get to a point where we have, you know, the red delicious apple, which is big and it's got a lot of kind of meat to it, but it's, I mean, in my opinion, it's nowhere near as good as a gala apple, which I would expect to be a little bit smaller, but much tastier. Yeah. So, and well, so that, that, that takes me down the line of thinking about sort of product and value centricity and like what is value and and you have yeah. to frame it you have to frame it in the eyes of the customer well you might want a gala apple because you find them tasty and crisp someone else might want a macintosh because they want to cook apple pie and so on right it's like yeah. neither neither of those, those options are bad options it depends on your intent right so well, yeah what you need to do yeah all right so you did the apple thing i want to test my thing out now and see if you want to shoot mine down sure. um because this is something that mike's not a big fan of um or he says doesn't make sense. <laughs> I talk about um, the way that I look at traditional organizations, right? The, a, a traditional waterfall organization, a lot of those systems were not, they didn't just spring up overnight. They took mm -hmm. years to lock in and to mm -hmm. add all those controls and all that structure. Yep. And I think of Agile as like a virus that we're introducing into a system. And I mean, I talk about it a lot like it's it's like chemotherapy, like the kind of older chemotherapy where it would you, you you'll get better probably, but you're going to be really sick you're first the system. Yeah. because yeah. the system has been designed to fight that off. Right. Yes. Um, and so that's I guess the the you know the rate at which you can introduce the medicine, the amount of medicine that's needed is always going to be fluctuating from one organization to the next. Yep. 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 Yeah, I, I think that's a good analogy. I think that the essential characteristics of the ability for viruses themselves to insert themselves into a cell 
and rewrite your DNA. Like they can insert their own DNA into yours and therefore modify your genetic blueprint to produce more viruses. Like that's scary, but it's also- But we talked about changing the DNA of a company earlier. It's kind of what we want to do. Exactly. So that, so the big challenge with that is this understanding, you know, if if you think about how DNA actually works, how it codes for proteins and how proteins um, are, are tiny little elements of function, that some of the challenge is understanding the complex interplay of all of that system of, you know, so you say, oh, we're going to change base code A to G or some other thing like that. And that's going to fix this thing. It's like, yeah, plus it's going to have 3000 other consequences that you didn't see coming. <laughs> so we should um, only apply leeches during a full moon. <laughs> yeah, but that's part of, the, part of the issue with that. So I like the I like the the model of how can again back to how do we rewrite the DNA so we create permanent good change. Yeah, I think that's a good worthy thing to aspire towards. I think it's also worth keeping in mind that you're guaranteed to have unseen consequences because you don't have perfect knowledge of the system, and the system is hugely complex. And I mean this for you know a human system, biological system, as well as for an organizational system. Yeah, and that that to me is one of the biggest challenging parts of transformation is you try to improve one thing like hey you're trying to improve employee engagement for instance or you're trying to hey, you're trying to implement agile that has knock-on consequences that in many cases you can't see or you don't anticipate and to me that comes back to the need to just have a better grounded view of the science if you will yeah. of what you know again what are those systems i just don't i don't see enough of that kind of attention Uh, I see more of these sort of point solutions with a a local perspective for one particular piece of the system. And sometimes that works well, but many times it doesn't. And I think that's why, you know, you look at the statistics, transformation efforts fail roughly 70% of the time, according to some studies. Uh, And it's like, and there are tons and tons of good reasons why that's true. Uh, So. But that's also the trial. I mean, that's a thousand ways not to build a light bulb. You can say that they fail, but did they fail? They only fail if you stop trying. That's a very good point. Yeah. And that I think is another really important characteristic that effective transformation is, is something that takes, it doesn't, it basically never stops, right? You yeah. You're never going to be done. You know, and that, that to me is why I like kind of an analogy more of evolution because transformation is almost like saying, I'm going to artificially create something. Um, that may may work, if you will. I don't know if this is a good analogy, but the concept of evolution is we are going to intentionally, right? This is the back to conscious versus unconscious or sort of environmentally driven evolution versus consciously adaptive evolution. But we're evolving our organization or our clients' organizations. We're doing it with intent because by doing it with intent, we can shortcut a lot of the missteps that you'd otherwise have of the, the kind of, you know, um, survival of the fittest that you're otherwise going to get. Like if you don't get it right, you're out of business. So part of sort of guided Very Darwinian. Yeah. But yeah. So, so guided organizational transformation should be informed by knowledge of what's likely to fail if conditions are left alone and, and actively putting in place things to, to overcome those challenges, right. To, 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 to dodge the, to dodge the issues of the changing environment and or, or pre, pre-adapt to those changes, right? So you're ready for them, whether that's changes in customer expectations or changes in technology or, you know, whatever those changes might be. The pre-adapt term, I mean, it almost sounds like we should be, it's like inoculation. We should be able to build 
Menlo Innovations every single time if we think about it enough before we start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I don't know, like if you were to, 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 to go out on this limb. Uh, We've it, gone out on so many limbs already. Have, why not? How much yeah, more just, risky just, could we be? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, look at giraffes as an example of, ad, of adaptation. You know, they kept growing, they kept evolving towards selecting for longer necks because they could reach um, higher plants uh, that others couldn't. Okay, so that that happened over some period of time. I don't know how long. Uh, you know, we we don't have those millions of years, right? So, but if we can see that the future environment is that the the fruit is going to be higher up in the trees, then let's pre-adapt, right? Let's figure out how for. I mean, that's the good thing about this is what I like about thinking about organizational improvement is you don't have to wait to see what happens. You don't have to wait to see what lives and what dies from an evolutionary perspective. You can say. I can see what's coming over the horizon. I'm going to build the ability for my organization to deal with that incoming situation, you know, good or bad. Okay. And so, yeah, that's the sort of the, the pre-adaptation, if you will. Cool. Um, and that's what we should be doing as transformation consultants is we work with the client to see what's coming or, or, or the other thing, right? The other thing might just be, hey, <laughs> to keep going with the giraffe analogy, no one has a long enough neck to reach the fruit, right? You, you can't achieve the value you're trying to create in the marketplace because you don't have the internal conditions. You don't have the structure that you need. So we are going to work with you to build the neck, if you will, right? Sounds a bit silly, but... It doesn't sound silly. There's some guy out there also who's going, you know what? I'm going to make the fruit come to the giraffe. Well, that, exactly. So great. I love that too. So it's like change the environment or, or change your ability to adapt to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. This was really cool. I appreciate you talking about this stuff. It was, it's neat to explore it from a different, completely different angle. And, and it also gave me hope for like the coaching thing because it's, um, it's still something that is evolving and changing and growing. And I'm thinking back, like when I started doing coaching and all you needed for agile transformation was like three coaches and a month. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter the size of your organization. We're going to spin up three teams. You'll be agile in four weeks. Mm -hmm. And no, <laughs> Not at all. But I mean, now we know a lot more than we did back then. And hopefully we'll keep learning at the same pace and getting better at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that, I mean, to, to tie that back, the the analogy of like the cells seeking oxygen and, and that local change, the yeah. local feedback loop, like, and, and I hope that's not a, it's not a slight, but to me, sort of the, the instilling agile at the team level is a little bit like that. Like you're, you're instilling a better feedback loop at the cellular level to, to create better function. So it's a good thing to do. It's just, there are many, other, there are many other parts of the system, right? That yeah. probably need some attention. Yeah. Yeah. This was cool. Um, thank you. So uh, osmotic communication, that's the word. Uh, over yeah, there you go. Yeah. I was looking it up while you're talking. Oh, thank uh, you. It was driving me crazy that I couldn't figure <laughs> it out. So yeah, um, if people want to get in touch with you, Matt, what's the best way for them to do that? Gosh, I would say either just uh, through my leading agile email, matt.craig at leadingagile.com. Um, you can also catch me on LinkedIn. I think I'm just Matthias, M-A-T-T-I-A-S-C uh, on LinkedIn. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Hopefully we'll get to come back and do another one soon. I hope so. There's, it's, I love having these kind of discussions because it helps to sort of paint the big picture and think of things in different ways. And I, th I, that to me, the, the characteristic of what other perspective might be really helpful here, like, like might give us a, a shining insight into the yeah. challenge that we've otherwise not seen. So I, these kind of discussions are, are a lot of fun.
Yeah, I think that's that's really important because even if you head down a path that doesn't end up working out, it like it could spark the idea that does. Right. Um, so this was great. Well, I hope I hope you have a, a great Thanksgiving. I hope things work out with your turkey. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. It's, it's our own experiment. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Dave. <laughs>